lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf, filling out mock drafts leading up to the actual draft in April, filling out March Madness brackets that are going to be dumpster fires within the first weekend of the tournament here. But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Whether you're hosting game day or movie night, DiGiorno knows that planning a wash party on a budget isn't easy. You need the perfect setting, the perfect squad, and the perfect eats. Luckily, you're a game time mastermind, and you know that grabbing DiGiorno Classic Crust Pizza can bring home a dub because it's packed with half a pound of cheese, sauce, and other toppings and comes at an incredible price. Make the game-winning call and grab a DiGiorno Classic Crust Pizza from the grocery store today. It's not delivery, it's DiGiorno. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Michael Jr. That is me. With me, as always, super producer extraordinaire, Brandon Jarrell Newman. Brandon, what's going on? Not much, Mike. We had some good picks this weekend. Good football this weekend. We had a lot happen uh, this weekend, and that's what always makes the good and bad of a Monday podcast, is there's so much that happened that I don't know how we get to all of it uh, in a way that does you all justice, but that's the goal. That's why we ask you to download, subscribe, rate, and review here wherever you get your podcast, and to check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel as well. Speaking of the DraftKings YouTube channel, Mike, if you're watching, you realize that Mike is in front of a backdrop that usually his father is in front of. Would you like to explain? Yeah, road game on a Monday. Uh, me and Dad had a little business to attend to Sunday after my normal travel over the weekend. I was in Raleigh for the uh, NC State and Wake Forest game down there, which was awesome. But, Brandon, we'll get to plenty of the college football weekend that Notre Dame was a part of here in addition to an NFL slate that had some wild results, uh, some questions that we had about the two oldest quarterbacks in the NFL or two of the oldest stars in the NFL and Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers that got yep. inconsistent answers. But a resounding answer, flying into South Bend the morning after a big-time win like the one they had against Clemson, it's so – like. Everything feels so much better. I'm waltzing on. I'm coming the other side through the airport in South Bend, watching a sea of green flood their way through the South Bend airport, and everyone's smiling. I got people. How about that, Golick? Watching him point and walking all the way through. It's just, but it was it was cool to look out because I saw so many kids that were like young kids that would have been my age when I started going out to Notre Dame games. Mm, you and I yeah. talked about very different journeys to South Bend, and mine was one where that place was home long before it was really home. And I saw a bunch of kids that looked like fat, chubby little me's. I was like, oh, they just got core memory added to the arsenal. They got to be there for a game where everyone rushed the field and everything looked good and hope springs eternal with a new coaching staff. And I, I, there's always going to be part of me like in my dumb, nostalgic football brain that thinks that's pretty sweet. Oh, it is pretty sweet, Mike. It's the only reason why 
I care about Drew Pine more than just the the quarterback for the Notre Dame football team. It's the the Connecticut always wanted to be there wearing the tin because of Brady Quinn stuff, and we'll get to the Notre Dame stuff, but we couldn't help but to have our Victory Monday Notre Dame gear on today. Yeah, I guess I just didn't real I didn't realize you're right. I just because everything in this house out here is Notre Dame issued gear. It's the one place because don't you know like one of the big problems I found as an adult is you're wearing right now for people that are just listening to this on the podcast an old issued gear hoodie from when Brandon and I were in college playing football together. I'm wearing a Notre Dame alumni shirt. The problem you have coming <laughs> off of being a college athlete is you wind up with so much issued gear. That's the thing you're used to. If you wanted to spot the athletes on campus, they would all be sitting outside of the one main st- uh, academic building, all wearing the newest round of gray issued gear sweats. That was bad. I don't know if college kids now are different or if the sweats are just probably a little bit better comparatively because that stuff improves over time. But like, Going from that to having to be an adult in the real world and find comfortable clothes to wear that don't have the branded logo or interlocking ND on them was something I had to make a very pointed, measured like attempt at during my 20s. And yeah. this is the one place where I can come back and be my truest self, where everything I put on has a Notre Dame logo and everything I put on is also comfortable in some variety of a sweat. Right. Also, you're not people don't look at you like a child for always wearing Notre Dame issued gear. Right. I feel like that's kind of where I'm at, where I mean, I work from home and I work out of the garage. So I'm up and around the house a lot. But everyone who sees me around my house is like, okay, he's wearing a jersey. He's wearing hoodies, wearing sweatpants. He's wearing very, very short shorts. Uh, This guy doesn't have a job. Yeah, it it does. It sends it sends the message of either like Uncle Rico um, from Napoleon Dynamite, very much living <laughs> in the past, or not as gainfully employed. But either way, uh, yeah, we're gonna let that freak flag fly because I have played coy about this shit all year long, and I will continue to because the job is not done. But uh, a lot of big time action in college football over the weekend. But uh, Brandon, a lot of big time action in the NFL. Yes. 20 to 17 seemed to be the score du jour yesterday in the NFL for some reason. And I think it was just kind of emblematic of how close the margins were this week mm-hmm. as we get down into the true middle of the season of a now eight, you know, 18 week regular season with 17 games being played. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We got to get some more energy to this because it's like, a, damn, wow, Mike, 20 to 17. There's so many close games. This is a, a crazy football Sunday with a team, a week when six teams were on buys. We still got some great football. You sound like every radio promo I ever heard. Forget just like the seven years I did it, but for the 20 years that my favorite thing is that every local radio station is called like the jam or the sports blitz oh, yes. or it has some very sporting name. Yeah. It's all yeah. <laughs> shout out to the sweat very much carrying on that tradition, but I, I don't know. It, it was exciting. If you like the best teams all being challenged because we saw plenty of people draw blood and right. the difference ends up being, especially like so much of our consumption of this as a sports public gets whittled down to the quarterbacks. But I think this week there's a lot of that that's appropriate, right? Like you start with Sunday night football and Patrick Mahomes and the Tennessee Titans go and finish this thing off. It takes the uh, it takes the Chiefs until overtime to get their 2017 win on the weekend. And Brandon, 
we saw crystal clear in this game, in the Bills' loss to the Jets, in plenty mm. of other games this weekend, the exact reason why the Miami Dolphins went out, spent capital to acquire Bradley Chubb at the trade deadline, and then paid him that contract. Because if you've got a chance to rush for and get home, you've got a chance in the AFC. And the Dolphins believe Tua and that offense are in a place where they can go and win shootouts like they did yesterday, but understand that two teams that right now do not have a quarterback that's going out and playing legitimate game-changing football, right? In the Tennessee Titans and the New York Jets. Like, we're just trying to get Zach Wilson to the point where he was yesterday, where it's positive, he's not turning the ball over in bad spots, he makes a few plays and they can lean on that running game, and the Titans who have Malik Willis in there because you still have Ryan Tannehill dealing with an ankle injury, you had those teams who did not have any measure of consistent offense to rely on beyond a certain point, right? That was going to, like, running the ball means you're always going to keep this thing close. Derrick Henry looked great early on in the Titans game, but then after a while, once the zone read stuff stopped working for him and Malik Willis at quarterback, which I feel like it got snuffed out a little bit and then they just went away from it completely in a way that was inexplicable. I don't know why that wasn't mixed back in a little bit more because the under center stuff, the Chiefs were able to throw hammers at pretty quick and deal with in all of the critical drives in the second half of that game in overtime. But, Brandon, uh, even but, with that being said, for what I just described for both of those teams, yeah, they were able to, in one case, in the Jets' case, upset the Buffalo Bills, and in the Titans' case, take a team to overtime led by Patrick Mahomes putting up some absolute batshit Madden video game numbers. Uh, yeah, and he had his crazy throws along the way as well. That the Madden numbers for a video game. We'll get to the stat line and how he's the first person to do something in the NFL again. But what I love about that game, specifically the Titans-Chiefs game, Mike, is I don't know if you remember, but Jeffrey uh, Simons. Simmons. Or Simmons. What am I, Simmons. I always miss his name. Yes, Jeffrey Simmons came in saying that, he, that they were going to dominate the Chiefs' offensive line. Right, and that seemed kind of crazy and silly, but unless you've watched the Titans front four or front seven or whatever they're putting in for the defense, because they did do a decent job making Derrick Henry fight for every yard. Well, listen, the Chiefs. Not Derrick. I'm sorry, not Derrick yeah. Henry. The Chiefs. Yeah. yeah, the 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 Chiefs. Chiefs running back du jour. Yes. Yeah, Pacheco, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, who ended up being the fullback on a fourth-and-one conversion late in that game that the Chiefs desperately needed. But that part, I guess, you're right, is what we've come to expect from this Titans outfit. You look up going into that game, now they're 5-3, and three, but they were 5-2, and two, and it's been about Mike Vrabel and the coaching job there mm-hmm. and the fact that Derrick Henry... I think at some point we'll really recollect how insane what we're watching is with Derrick Henry because of how much it's asked of him because of how much is put on his body I saw Mike Vrabel was asked in a press conference about hey is it sustainable to keep handing the ball off to Derrick Henry 26 times a game and he's like you got to go with what you have who the fuck are we going to throw it to at this point and he's right without Traylon Burks in there right now this is a wide receiver group that yeah you have Robert Woods out there but it's Robert Woods coming back off a lower body injury from last year that has been productive but you've also got a rookie quarterback throwing them the ball and so all of these things have combined together to render most of the non-Derrick Henry offensive weapons pretty useless in this game and it all points back to Derrick Henry who has now what six straight 100 yard rushing games five or six straight of those had a 200 yard rushing game last week what he's been 
been able to do physically is insane and un- unprecedented, really, in the modern NFL with the way we treat running backs. Oh, absolutely. And I, I think he's been, obviously, they call him King Henry for a reason, right? But I think it is dangerous in male practice to let Malik Willis go out there with no one to throw through. Mike, uh, well, J- Justin Fields at least has Mooney uh, on the other side or, or in his second year. But I, I think seeing what Malik Willis is able to do with that offense almost and what Derrick Henry, how Derrick Henry is that offense almost puts Ryan Tannehill into perspective of the last three, four years. Yeah, uh, it definitely does as a veteran player and one that I'm sure Titans fans hope will be back at some point because they are a team right now that – is in the driver's seat for their playoff destiny and what has been a bad division where the Colts have completely underperformed so far this year. And Malik Willis is someone you hope can develop into your future. You saw yesterday the discomfort, just letting it go in key situations down the stretch where even if it's not open and it's not perfect, holding on to the ball and eventually taking a bad sack in overtime isn't going to give your team any sort of chance. But this was the fight Mike Vrabel was having during the preseason where he he took Malik Willis out of a game because he wasn't throwing the ball downfield and passing enough. He wanted mm-hmm. him to get out of, get outside of his comfort zone a little bit with that. And we know he comes from an offense in college at Liberty that didn't ask a ton of you as far as doing NFL concepts and things like that. It was fast. It was making use of his physical gifts, and they did lean into some of that. But, Brandon, I guess all that really underscores what happened on the other sideline because I saw Dan Orlovsky uh, tweet last night that unless you've got a quarterback like 15, meaning Patrick Mahomes, or someone that can go toe-to-toe with him, you're not going to be a real Super Bowl contender. And he's probably right, but... You saw the Titans able to take them down to the wire because at the end of the day, if you can get home with four in this league against those guys and make them uncomfortable, and really for the Chiefs, if you can make Travis Kelsey uncomfortable near the line of scrimmage, I I get that he ends up getting his. But you look at the frustration that we saw on his face during that game, helmet spike there, covered in in dirt grime like the messiest Travis Kelsey jersey you've seen all year long it's the reason that they were in it the whole way and it's the reason that we needed Patrick Mahomes to go 43 of 68 for 446 and then also lead the team in rushing it was a man alone on an island for so much of the back half of that game Brandon the touchdown that ends up getting the Chiefs into tying position and then the ensuing two-point conversion that got the help of a bunch of penalties that moved the Chiefs even closer all came when Patrick Mahomes said fine I'll do bad all by myself and take off and hurt you with my legs uh six for 63 and one touchdown he now becomes the first player in NFL history with 400 or more passing yards in a game and 60 plus rushing yards in a game and that was to me the defining like why Patrick Mahomes is the MVP front runner in this season and I said it when we talked about the midseason awards they bet on him letting Ty, you know, with Tyree Kill leaving that organization. They said, we'll go in here, we'll give him the Swiss Army receivers, and Juju Smith-Schuster has acquitted himself famously with Patrick Mahomes. They talked about it a bunch on the broadcast, but he's essentially like a second Travis Kelsey in that offense. Yeah, but isn't everyone in that offense, like much like the Atlanta Falcons having all the same, uh, I call it the minions, all the same style, wide receiver Kyle Pitts and Drake London, I feel like that's exactly what... Uh, the Chiefs did this offseason, except for they're all the same type, but they have different superpower skills. It's like everyone's a different uh, Pokemon with a different element. 
Well, yeah, but I don't think they're all the same type that way, right? Like, Miko Hartman's a guy who's going to operate on the edges a little more. He's going to be your gadget guy. You're going to throw him towards the sideline. Sky Moore's the one that you send on deep balls. But he's, Marcus okay. Valdez-Scantling. I'm he's, saying that Juju Smith-Schuster is the only one of those guys that's built enough like a tank to throw into the middle of the field, hit tight windows, and then run that button hook and turn up field and get yards the way we've watched Travis Kelsey do this entire time. Yes, I hear you. I and, I and yes, Juju Smith-Schuster is built like a tank, but I'm saying Patrick Mahomes seems to only be really utilizing the rest of the offense that looks and is built like Travis Kelsey, while Sky Moore had is still trying to figure out how to fit into this offense, much like a, a Christian Kirk early, early on with the uh, Arizona Cardinals. Well, it's about who earns the quarterback's trust early, right? And that's what we've seen from Juju is Mahomes trusts he's going to be where he needs to be. And that when given the opportunity time and time again, Juju's made plays for that offense. And so having that trust of a guy in Patrick Mahomes, who we see is happy to spread the love, happy to spread the ball around to people involved. And that offense has been very good at times. I mean, the first play of the game, just as if just to send a message, they threw the ball out to Kadarius Toney, their wide receiver acquisition from the trade deadline over on the Giants but Brandon it's that idea of you need this guy or you're not going to be able to do it on the top end that generally Mm -hmm. I think is right right like yeah 2017 postseason aside where we had three backups in and Nick Foles ended up winning it I think for the most part that's the truth because in this moment Patrick Mahomes lived up to his salary right like I remember a buddy of ours that played in the NFL talked about pass protection on the offensive line and how they would funnel all the double teams to the middle and leave the tackle on the island because that tackle was paid you know at that point like 15 million dollars a year close to 20 million dollars a year to go out there and put the cuffs on somebody one-on-one and for Patrick Mahomes you're the half a billion dollar man in Kansas City because you're able to and expected to go out and overcome some of the inefficiencies elsewhere. And their offensive line had a rough go with that group last night. He was sacked four times in that game and pressured, it felt like, on every other drop back. But ultimately, in the critical moments, he was able to get that done. Last night, I think more so with his legs than anything else, but he was able to go get that done. I thought his legs, at least in the critical spots of that game, I should say, And it's kind of an interesting lens to view what happened for the rest of this weekend, right? Because we talked about the Bills and what happened in that game with Josh Allen. Got sacked five times by Jets defense that I looked last night. As far as sacks with just four men or fewer in the pass rush, Jets are number one in the league. Woo! The Jets are number Love one it. in the league as far as getting after with that down pass rush. Everyone's talked about Quinn and Williams having a like Pro Bowl-like year at yes. D-tackle for them. But... It was five sacks with four or fewer rushers in that game, which is a career high. They did what we talked about people do did to the Chiefs all last year. And it was happening to the Bills to an extent where we said, they're going to take away all the deep stuff. They're going to take away your ability to hurt them with the big play. The Jets just did that in the most focused way we had seen maybe so far. They only blitzed Josh twice in that game, both of which came early. It was the second lowest blitz rate of his career. They spent all their time on Stephon Diggs. Didn't even have a target, I believe, in the second half of that game. It was the first. It was just the second time in the last two years he's gone a half without a reception 
uh, in the second half of that game, they made it very clear. They said, you're not going to beat us with that. The same way teams last year were saying, yeah, Chiefs, we're not going to let you just hit us over the top of the head with Tyreek Hill and let you destroy us. The Chiefs made that adjustment, and for whatever reason, it didn't feel like the Bills had to make as much of that last year, and I wonder if some of this is that adjustment to, all right, one, the Jets are uniquely capable with that D-line going and playing this style. Like I say, well, all you got to do is rush forward, disrupt Travis Kelsey. Yeah, that's really hard because the Chiefs' defensive line's not bad. The Bills' defensive line's not bad. And so to have four capable pass rushers who can go out there and rain holy hell on two of the best quarterbacks in football, no, you've got to draft and build to that moment. Goes again to our point, if you're close, that's the area in the AFC right now at the top end that you need to invest if you want to get over the hump. But uh, Brandon... I don't think I'm super worried about the Bills because there's so many good parts in there. That, to me, is more, all right, the Jets really need to figure out and get this thing right on offense. This needs to keep progressing with Zach Wilson because you don't want to waste the window with a defense that's that potent up front. True, true. And I I don't think they are, Mike. I think, you know, it's it's clearly one of those things where I'm not believing my eyes still a little bit of just how stifling – that defense can be, uh, regardless of the accolades and how they're ending these games. But we talked about earlier this season how they took advantage of Aaron Rodgers and uh, you know got that win, and we weren't really sure just how justifiable it was because Zach Wilson didn't throw for a lot of yards. But Mike, we didn't realize we're dealing with like the 2000 style Ravens defense over here with uh, with the Jets and Sauce Gardner obviously getting another yeah. pick and being very very important uh, for that team. Mike, it just it's it's hard to believe that the Jets can do what they've been doing against the Bills as well. But I think it's more so of positioning in the playoffs, right? Because like you said, we don't believe that the Bills are better, a better team than the Jets. We don't believe that they're the better team in the AFC East uh, right now. But the, the Jets over the Bills. Yes, excuse yeah. me. Yes, flip that. But I think at the end of the day, this is about placement for the playoffs. And I 100%. think that we believe in the Bills wherever they end up in the playoffs, wherever, if they take a bye or not. But the Jets team is going to be that – I think they're taking the place of that that Baltimore place, and obviously Baltimore's still kind of there, but you don't trust them as much, where like this is a team in the AFC who can take out a really good team in the NFC and also pull a, pull a Bengals and, and end up making a run in the playoffs. I don't know if I'm willing to go that far with them just because I don't think their quarterback's capable of that. And going back to Dan's point, I think when it gets to that time of year, you've got to have a quarterback that's able to outrun some of the mistakes that your offense and defense are going to make. And the Jets aren't there. I think what you mentioned about playoff seating, much more important for Buffalo now. Buffalo, after they Mm. beat Kansas City, we all said, man, will this finally be the year where the AFC goes through Orchard Park instead of going through Kansas City? where Buffalo's going to get to host this thing and have home field advantage throughout here. Do they do anything that starts to threaten that? Because that's going to be a huge part of if they're going to get over this hump and if they're going to slay that chief size dragon in their conference and find a way to get to the place where they want to be Josh Allen MVP, Super Bowl for a Buffalo franchise that's been beaten down on that front for so long. You can't afford many more games like this. They're 0-2 in the AFC East right now as far as playing division games. So you can't afford to go out here and keep (laughs) acting like this and try and keep pace with Kansas City in a race for that one seed because that's the air. Like, everyone's got different goals. Obviously, winning your division first and foremost is there. But for Buffalo, your goal is one seed, and you're trying to put yourself in a position to maximize right now, even though we have had so much of that conversation after last year. You know, make uh, – remember the Green Bay Packers wanted to make their place a dome. The Buffalo's got mock-ups of that new stadium that's going to – 
involved, some of that. Right now, you don't got a dome. Right now, you have the advantage of being a team that brings other people to a place they're not expecting or used to having that cold of weather in and trying to capitalize, even though you're built for speed, not necessarily for power in those ways. But regardless, home field advantage, we know. And the one seed in this playoff format, more valuable than it's ever been because you're the only team getting a buy now. And if the Bills fuck with that at all because they're playing with their food during this middle stretch of the season, they're going to live to regret it. Okay, Mike, I don't. but is it, is it less of them playing with their food and more so of teams capitalizing on Josh Allen starting to wear down a little bit? We always talk about his style of play and how good he is running the ball and dual threat X, Y, and Z. He's coming off this game saying that he played like crap during the game and also has a little bit of pain that he's playing through. Yeah, and This is so where I'm, we're at the half point. Yep, saw him wincing with the hand there. I uh, had a little bit of an elbow during that game. and So, yeah, that is the worry. It's why we talked about them trying to take hits off him in the design run game at the beginning of that season. And there are so many weapons on that team, but he's still asked to do so much. So, yeah, those are all legitimate concerns. Again, I don't want to sound the alarms too, too much because that's still a really talented team who just ran into someone inside the division who's certainly not afraid of them, a Jets team that's got a bunch of positive momentum on defense, and a massive matchup in the right area like this all goes back to the Dolphins were right to do what they did because this is how you have to win if you're going up against the type of quarterback you're going to see in this side of the NFL and the AFC in the playoff spaces where these teams want to live yeah but I think Von Miller also in in a loss proved again why you they went and spent the money on him 100% 100% like he, he fits right into that same paradigm we talked about where all these teams went to try and do that. You had uh, you know, Chris Jones show up in big spots for the Chiefs down the yep. stretch. George Karloftis, who was really their only ad, I think, by in the way of a pass rusher there. So in the draft. Not, yeah. not as forceful, but again, you know, Chris Jones is supposed to be your guy up there, even as an interior guy. Frank Frank Clark playing up to that contract money they played him might just be out of the realm at this point, but Brandon, this does lead to the conversation then about the older quarterbacks. We went into this weekend saying this is the last chance get right weekend for Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. And by the thinnest of margins, man, somehow you've got Tom Brady comes out of this on the winning side with yet another comeback win against a Rams team that seems to be in a bit of a free fall right now. And then you had Aaron Rodgers in a game that involved three red zone turnovers by the Packers quarterback even though they outpaced the Lions statistically in most every category, certainly were able to move the ball really well. Um, but Brandon, the Packers now in a spot where they're impossible to trust. I thought that was going to be, in, you know, it could still be that buy low team based on what we saw, right? Because it's such a problem of inconsistency for them right now. I know the place that everyone's going to want to go is, is Aaron Rodgers just cooked? Is his arm toast? And there's certainly some throws that would indicate that. But I think this is an offense that's caught between worlds with all the infighting between coach and quarterback on what the philosophy of the offense should it be. Should it be LaFleur coming from that McVay tree of being more under center? Should it be what Rodgers wants to be back in the gun? Things a little bit more still and more pace with some of these young guys. The truth is, I mean, Rodgers still had a bunch of really tight window throws, fitting the balls into good spots, moving the ball up and down the field. He just spit the bit in the critical moments that end up defining you down in the red zone. I mean, I don't know who was in charge of calling a throwback. As much as I love a good old-fashioned thick six, Yeah, the tackle eligible to David Bakhtiari was a wild boy call. 
And for Aaron Rodgers to grossly underthrow that off his back foot, those are the plays, right, wrong, or indifferent. So many of those plays that seem impossible are the ones that we were used to him making. And for a guy that's been the MVP the last two years, even though it was with Devontae Adams on the team, the expectation at least was in the way that you structured yourself coming off this offseason. And then by not making the moves to the deadline is... At some point, there was a belief that Aaron Rodgers could keep being the MVP enough to do what Patrick Mahomes is doing. Aaron Rodgers, the original Patrick Mahomes, and man, (laughs) if you use that as the side-by-side over the weekend, you've seen clear as day that he certainly doesn't have the gas to be that anymore, to be the singular thing that carries your team the way he was during some of his early MVP runs in the 2000s. I think it's clear to see and safe to say now that if your third eye is open, like your your Ooh. physical acclimate is a little bit more reserved and maybe it's, it blurs the lines of the actual two eyes that are, are you, there. Are you saying that Aaron Rodgers and Kyrie Irving have spent too much time putting their effort on into YouTube the, into the Met? <laughs> Yes, putting their mint like their their ten. Like, talking about Jack yeah. ten and yes. his, his third eye. Like, yeah, they got too much vision coming through their third eye, and not for those other two that throw the football. Because Mike, do you wait? I want to. Do you think they ahead. talk? <laughs> honestly, honestly, talking about occults in this in this world. Like, what if there's a, a, a cults group text amongst uh, professional athletes well, with a I, platform? I'm I'm thinking of the 21 Savage line from him and Drake's album where he says, I have most of my IG conversations in vanish mode. I feel like oh. Aaron Rodgers and Kyrie communicate exclusively on IG DMs where everything vanishes the minute you send it. Oh my gosh, vanish mode. We got to get into who... Kyrie and Aaron Rodgers are DMing well, together and separately. But, in I, but mode. do you, do you think they're actually talking? Because part of me wonders. Both of them want to be the smartest guy in the room, and I wonder if because they're so similar, like two ends, same ends of a magnet, they actually push each other away. Ooh, uh, but I feel like they they enjoy a, a nice healthy discourse um, amongst people that they respect, right? So they may be going after it back and forth because not only do they want to be the smartest people in the room, they want to be the most unvaccinated as well because they don't want to let that that serum mess with their brain waves and their third eye. I feel like they lead the league in maybe not communicating regularly, but in the midst of controversy, sending each other a text message like, I think you've made some really compelling points here. Stay strong. Oh, man. Or maybe just like inspirational cat. Keep it up. Perfect take. Uh, just, you know, just <laughs> things to go back and forth. But, Mike, getting back to Aaron Rodgers, right? I want to, I want to uh, give credit for his downfall in this moment, but I have to think that this is a desperation moment for the defense of the Lions. Nut up moment. We'll get to them later in Roses for me personally, but that Aiden Hutchinson pick uh, for that, I think he felt that screen in ways that he Aaron Rodgers has been so good. But Aaron Rodgers has been so good on offense because the defense isn't able to feel what he's doing, and now they can both feel and see what the Packers are doing, and, and they're they're pretty one dimensional. I just think it was a grossly underthrown ball, though, and it was. 
between that and then the lack of communication that seemed like it was popping up later you saw him kind of having some words about what he thought Robert Tunyon should have been doing on a route that was eventually intercepted all those are just a guy who's out of control Aaron Rodgers always seemed like he was in control and when we talk about what we saw with Patrick Mahomes and when we're going to talk about what we saw happen with Tom Brady at the end of that game the loss of control in Green Bay seems to have happened at an institutional level now that seems to be okay And part of it is losing the best wide receiver in football. But now midway through the season, all of those other wide receivers, it should have, you know, could have, should have, would have been, hey, you've got time together. But Alan Lazard's been injured for a bunch of this season. Romeo Dobbs went down early in this game. Christian Watson, their draft pick out of North Dakota State, is just now getting back on the field in a consistent way. Robert Tunyon was hurt all across the board. I don't want to make too many excuses for them because, again, this is what quarterbacks of Aaron Rodgers' level are supposed to be able to help you overcome. And right now, we haven't seen that been able to happen because what you have around him are not excuses but understandable reasons why teams in this league lose all the time when you have injury and attrition to the level that the Packers have had there. Because, man, their defense went out in that game. I've had a lot of criticism for that defense at different points of this year. The Detroit Lions are the fourth best scoring offense in the NFL, and they managed to hold them down here to a low point output. They managed to go and in that third quarter, turn over the Lions, only for the Green Bay offense to turn it back over to that team. Then hold the Detroit Lions down in their own red zone to a punt that gave Green Bay great field position that set up their first scoring drive of the game. At some critical junctures, that defense played really good complementary football, even if they still give it up a little bit more than I'd like on the ground giving some credit to the Lions for being able to rush there. It's just on the other side. This is a league where, yeah, a lot of people are going to be capable of moving the ball. The red zone ends up doing or undoing you. And this is now, you know, I won't say the red zone turnover specifically, but yesterday they were the problem. It's just that there's always a problem to find with this Green Bay team. They've been so consistently inconsistent through the course of this year, whether you believe it's for good reason or not, and now their quarterback's at a spot where he is not able to overcome all of that anymore. And if that's the case... This Packers franchise has some questions they have to start asking themselves because they've been a team that structured themselves that way. And that's fine. That's why you pay these guys that money because they are capable for so long. But if Aaron Rodgers is still a very good quarterback, but he's not a quarterback capable of doing that, and he's not a guy that wants to cede control of saying, well, then I'll do everything Matt LaFleur's way. I'll operate an offense that we've seen help out a bunch of other quarterbacks in the NFL like it helped out Aaron Rodgers during the last two MVP seasons. They're seeing seems to be that renewed friction of what styles make the fight for Green Bay. If that's not to be the case, then all of a sudden the Packers have some bigger, more existential questions to start asking. Absolutely, Mike. But realistically, those questions won't get asked until after the season because we're coming off of Aaron Rodgers having back-to-back MVP seasons. And this is the first season where of all the problems that the Packers have dealt with in the past and have worked through, they haven't had to deal with Aaron Rodgers turning the ball over like this. And they haven't had to deal no. with Aaron Rodgers turning the ball over like this in the red zone. I think the red zone's always been a question mark for them, uh, especially with Aaron Rodgers and if he's going to run or, or take over the game in the way. But uh, these are problems that I think Aaron Rodgers has earned the right to not really be answered or addressed. But I don't want to sound blasphemous, but one of the biggest questions that they need to answer is the Jordan Love question. Well, I don't really know how much the Jordan Love question matters at this point because you're past like 
his contract. Yeah, that's what I mean. Next year. It's going to be next. It's not It's not going to be but, this season. But no, but I mean, like, you're past his contract's utility, utility, right? Like, the whole advantage of having a rookie quarterback is the fact that you get to learn about them in the cheap years and potentially make use of those. And if you don't have them, what is your long-term plan? Like, Jordan Love could certainly still be a part of that if you want to ask those questions. I'll, I mean, for Aaron Rodgers, is he going to want to keep doing this? We talked about him flirting mm. with retirement last year. Is this season something that's going to reinforce that? Would that get the Packers, you know, in some way a get-out a jail free card as far as how to go about this because they had that messy handoff in drafting Jordan Love. So yeah. I think all of that's really interesting with a Packers team that seems to continue to be trending down in the NFC North. For Tom Brady and the Bucks, though, it still wasn't pretty during a lion's share of that game. And so much of this, I think, has to do with a Rams team that we said the matchup was going to be Bucks D line versus Rams O line and the Bucks defensive line. I mean, Vita Vea and company getting a chance to live in that backfield and harass Matthew Stafford. And Tom Brady, much like every year, Chase Daniel has to come in at some point and re up his backup card where throws a couple of passes or goes out there and has to play an extended time, or it's even in a yep. preseason, balls out, so that you, you get your backup quarterback pass restamped, you keep cashing checks in the league and making money and being everyone's hero. Tom Brady re-upped the game-winning drive pass to remind all of us that we could and should still be afraid of Tom Brady. We could still make those, well, you left him too much time jokes because Brady ends up going and marching down at the end of that game to beat the Rams with like 30 seconds left on the clock and... Even though the Rams seem to inexplicably on defense just sit back deep and give Tom everything he could have wanted underneath, Scotty Miller and his incredible tan balled out mm. in the underneath, getting them opportunities to go down there and win that game on the Kate Otten touchdown. But uh, Brandon, does that now cement that Brady can still strike fear into our hearts even in a world where he's divorced? Oh my God, Mike. I almost feel like it's all the variables matter. Uh, yes, I do think that's the case because, but we always knew that was the case. But uh, I guess he needed to be x amount of uh, new cycles removed from uh, he and his uh, former or his wife, you know, whatever thing his name in the tabloids because it, it seems to be he seems to be calm, more calm in a way. It's it seems he's to be less frustrated and more sensible in his approach, like. Tom Brady himself looked less rattled and frustrated throughout the game, including when he was able to turn it on. But you also got to think about who they were playing, Mike. Yeah, I know I've said it's about the Chargers, but the Rams are probably going to end up being one of the worst teams in football this year. Yeah, I don't know if, man, it's tough at this point because, again, they're another one. So banged up. All the things that we just said about the Packers, even more true for the Rams and what they've had to weather in front of Matthew Stafford. And Matthew Stafford, I saw it was Ben Solak uh, last week that did the article in light of Sam Ellinger taking over for the Colts. Ben writes over at The Ringer talking about how, yeah, Sam Ellinger might not be the answer, but he's showing what's so necessary in the league right now, having a quarterback mm-hmm. that can get you out of a jam because they're mobile enough, they're athletic enough to go out there and alleviate some of the pass rush threat. Matthew Stafford's not that guy. That's not why you brought him over to Los Angeles. You brought him over there because you had an offensive line that was fortified and you wanted to stretch your downfield passing game. And now you've got a quarterback who was brought there so you could, instead of having to do all the trick-dick emotion stuff that Sean McVay had done, have some, you know, 
uh, five-man protection stuff in there, downfield, drop-back passing attack. You can't do that now. You've taken out one of the things that was supposed to be Matthew Stafford's best tool in his arsenal. And so, yeah, that's going to be a massive effect as we talk about the way teams are structured and how but you have gone about accommodating your quarterback. I hear you completely, but isn't – I'll say this. Matthew Stafford has Cooper Cup, and Tom Brady doesn't have anything comparable. Tom Brady has Mike Evans, who on his best day is a Hall of Famer. Now, we haven't seen them in that same vein, but Mike Evans is a Hall of Fame wide receiver. <sighs> oh, okay. And Chris Godwin's say, back healthy. Like Tom Brady's not okay. dealing with a bear cupboard. I, I'm not saying he's dealing with a bear cupboard, Mike, but I think the lack of consistency for Mike Evans versus the abundance of consistency with Cooper Cup makes it uh, a night and day argument, but I hear you. I hear you. I, I don't think it's night and day. I think it's just this Tampa Bay team has also struggled in a lot of ways, some of which have been the quarterback early on in this season, and we've talked about the understandable off-the-field realistic ways for that. I just wonder how much this does for them, Brandon, as far as an exhale, mm -hmm. because you saw it. Tom Brady on that sideline with Byron Leftwich in an embrace that felt Ooh. more than just a comeback win. Ooh. In the waning yeah. seconds. It felt like there had been some things there that got let off we everyone's back, chest. <laughs> yeah, we back. It honestly looked like Tom Brady and Giselle hugging again. It was like that that level oh, of like relief and, and happiness. You monster. I, I mean, did it not, Mike? It really like I I was when I saw it, I was like, I'm glad that I uh gave uh excuse me, gave Brian Leftwich some credit in this offense and what he's done because Tom Brady doesn't hug that man like that if he's not a part of this win. You know what I mean? Like he literally was hugging him like his his dad after being with the uh, you know his stepmom for too long. I think this really is about a realization for both these sides, right? The Minnesota Vikings are far out in front of the NFC North Ooh. where the Packers are playing. The Chicago because. Bears are looking better and better with each passing week. Justin Fields, I believe, had the highest passer rating in the NFL this past weekend. Had over 100 yeah, yards right. rushing. He was a fantasy god as he's gotten more comfortable in an offense that's finally making use of his many athletic gifts. And so you look at the Packers and go, all right, well, what do they even have the opportunity to be? Is this even going to be a team that has a chance to make the playoffs? And right now, the answer is absolutely 100% not. The Packers are not a playoff team the way we're looking at them. You cannot trust them with that. But Tampa Bay, the reason I think there was so much of that catharsis is now they're first place in the NFC South. It's a dog shit division. We talked about the Falcons and the Panthers playing for first place last week, and the Panthers just got their unholy asses whooped by the uh, Bengals this weekend in a way that stunned me. And so for Tom Brady and the Bucks, it's, yeah, we weren't perfect, but we found a way. For Tom, I'm sure it felt nice to feel like himself again because this whole season's been marked with that guy's life not feeling like it's his own for a little bit. And now that you've got that, you snap back and remember, yeah, we control our own destiny as far as winning our division and being a playoff team still. Yeah, I hear you, Mike, but also the NFC North used to be that trash-ass division. You know what I mean? Like Aaron Rodgers used to be able to sit atop of that, that trash heap because it wasn't that competitive. And as the NFC North is, or the NFC South is still not that competitive, you can see those Atlanta Falcons putting it together on the right day and, and – uh, trouncing the Bucks' chance at a playoff run. Well, listen, anything's possible there, but I'm saying I, we're looking at this the wrong way. Is the Bucks have opportunity? The Packers do not have opportunity right now, and because okay. the Bucks have opportunity, a moment like this I think can go a lot longer in saying, "All right, 
this is a little bit of how I felt before. This is a little bit of that swagger back of getting Brady in that offense in a familiar position. And Tom Brady, the greatest of all time, went over 100,000 passing yards for his career in this game. And I thought it was going to be Salty Tom getting asked about that in a losing press conference where he wouldn't really want to make mention of it. Sort of the reverse LeBron, which, right. oh my God, that guy, the, the Migos tribute, I, I can't. I can't with LeBron. I don't even know what you're talking about, and I'm glad. Yeah, no, honestly, consider yourself lucky. LeBron James paying tribute. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, as we recently lost takeoff, LeBron James trying to claim that he had been on the Migos back on one of those early, like the 2018 Olympics team, and that no one was up on them, and he was putting them on back then. It's another one of those things where LeBron just loves embellishing in public, but but I digress. Uh, Yeah, okay, you you say that, I say habitual liar, but continue. Yeah, I say tomato, tomato. Um, But for Tom, I, I think... This goes a long way in a division where we talked about last week their defense, still overwhelming. Carolina is going to be a team that's so variable week in and week out and likely hits the bottom soon. And then Atlanta and New Orleans, like you mentioned, I think as far as the strongest identity in this division at this point, it's probably got to be the Buccaneers' defense, right? As far as the thing you can look at and say, hey, I can count on this. And then if on the other side now you've got Tom Brady, who is still capable of that to go back to our overarching theme. Tom Brady, in the key moment, was able to go out there and execute in that high-pressure crucible of a situation and pull his team out of that, even though it hadn't been perfect, even though that whole game had been a rock fight, even accounting for opponent, you still saw the ball go through the basket. And sometimes for a guy with that much under his belt, who's trying to finally steady the ship after a tumultuous first half of the season, maybe that's enough to get them into a decent headspace going into the rest of this year. So that's uh, the NFL weekend. I know it seems reductive at times to boil things down too much to the quarterbacks, but I think for so many of these key guys, we saw the reason you spend resources trying to make sure that you can appropriately attack them, and then how it affects your team. Second quarterback contracts are a thing that comes up all the time, but when you've got a guy that's capable of doing the things that Brady, that Mahomes, that Rodgers have traditionally done giving them that kind of money and structuring your team around them is the smart way to do it and doing it earlier than anything else. Uh, I do want to shoot everyone uh, in media a little bit of bail, though, because I think more than not, the NFL games are centered and geared around yeah. the quarterback performance, right? Like, like, like it's, it seems lazy for us to always jump into the quarterbacks and talk about wins and losses in these games, but the way the NFL is set up now, the way college football – College football is a little different, but it's it's all it's all centered around the quarterback. Goes as far as the quarterback will take us. No, it's it's a very good point, Brandon. That's a decision the NFL's made rules wise and style of play wise that there was going to be even more put on this position, and part of that has to do with high school and college and the way that the game has shifted for the players coming up. So no, that is a a great point and one that serves up serves us, which makes it an even better yes. point. It's the most wonderful time of the year. March Madness, getting ready to go in college basketball. And we got some of the best stars in the sport finally trying to close the deal. Zach Eady at Purdue trying to see if he can cap off an historic career with the championship. Much like his counterpart on the women's side and Caitlin Clark, who's been one of the biggest names in sports this entire year and is looking to see if she can snag that elusive championship that's eluded her during her career. Regardless of who makes it to that final game of the tourney, though, one thing's for certain. It's going to take the most talented people like the two I just mentioned working together to help these teams play at a high level. If you're hiring, you want the most talented people on your team to help your business go to the next level. How do you find them? ZipRecruiter. 
And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Gojo. ZipRecruiter uses matching technology to score excellent candidates for your job. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's powerful technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And once you review your list of the most qualified candidates for your job, you can easily invite your top choices to apply, so they're more likely to apply sooner. Pick ZipRecruiter to help you build a winning team. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash Gojo. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash Gojo. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Um, <laughs> Brandon, before we hand out weekend roses, uh, we did mention college. Normally we do a lot of college football around here Tuesday. We'll get to even more of that tomorrow, but... Uh, I mean, this weekend went nuts. So we had the first college football playoff rankings last week that already are getting thrown against the wall and reorganized. It's trying to figure out what the most surprising result from the weekend ends up being, where we went into the weekend with what was one versus three in the college football playoff, Tennessee going on the road to Georgia and getting their whole ass whooped. That's a game where I am incredibly interested, Brandon, to see how the committee gauges that game because normally when you get thumped and get beat the way Georgia has now beaten Tennessee and Oregon who are still one loss teams very much in the mix that's usually been a death sentence for your playoff hopes and Mm -hmm. Tennessee went out and I think very important to that end of things made that a two touchdown loss with the final score of 23-17. So looking back, the box score is going to feel a little better than the game did because it was never a two-touchdown game. Georgia no, went out no. and put their foot down on their necks very early in that one, made that very lopsided. That's Mike, that's why I had an issue with that game because obviously we talked about the fact that the college – well, I guess I brought up the fact that the college football playoffs and ESPN, what I don't like about it is they're able to set a narrative for a game that you must watch, right? So the rankings come out. They they put Tennessee over Georgia, which is you know debatable. You guys, you and Stormy talked about it last week, and then we get to see the game, and it looks like they're on two different planets, almost as similar as the way that Alabama and Tennessee looked on two different planets. It was confusing. Well, that game to me was about one. I think first and foremost, as we go along here, it was a reminder to me because I I thought Tennessee had a chance to win that game. The way their offense had been operated, the fact that Nolan Smith was going to be out on Georgia's defense, so you had another quality piece missing there. The standard on that Georgia defense is unrelenting and certainly did a lot to stymie Hendon Hooker on that offense. They're built that way, and we said them and Alabama are two teams structurally that can really handle that, and then Georgia's got the athletes. It was the other side, though, Brandon, where – I was dead wrong about Georgia's offense, who came into that game, I believe, not having a play of over 30 yards on the season. I think I heard that during the broadcast. Damn. And in this game, went buck wild on that front because Tennessee, for as good as their defense is in certain areas, is a like bottom-of-college-football pass defense. Like If you're in Ooh. the 100s of something, Brandon, 
you're going to have a tough time once we get to the top end of things. And I've forgotten, it's shame on me, the fact that in college football, and really in anything, you're only going to go as far as your greatest flaw. And if your greatest mm. flaw is so substandard, think about Michigan State last year. For all the fun we had when they were able to upset Michigan and be a part of the mix in the college football playoff talk, they went up against Ohio State and we said, all right, well, Ohio State's really good at passing the football, and you're one of the worst teams in the country at defending the pass. It's not really hard to overthink this, and the results were exactly what we were expected and in this game Georgia who's still a talented team even if they haven't displayed consistency moving the ball downfield or ripping off chunk plays if you get a soft landing spot like that they are more than good enough to go and exploit that and it's a good reminder as we go forward and start to have conversations about the teams at the top of the sport Tennessee's still going to be in the mix their road just got made a lot harder and will depend on how the committee views the depth of that loss and how thorough and ass kicking it was but having one glaring flaw is usually going to be the thing that gets you got and that's why I think people worry about TCU and the fact that they're always falling behind in these games I think the fact that their quarterback is just okay and not great and so that was that was the surprising part I think for some people in Tennessee but might make it a bit less surprising you look at Alabama losing on the road on Saturday okay. night to LSU in Death Valley you look at Clemson getting thoroughly manhandled getting their asses kicked according to Dabo Swinney on the road in South Bend and Brandon which of those do you think is the most surprising because I I I generally tend to lean Tennessee just because of how lopsided it was. Yeah, I think. I, I'm no, no, no. Can I? Can yeah. I do this? <sighs> we don't talk enough about college football home advantages. I think we don't need to until November. And I think this first week is maybe I might be recency biased and I'll jump into it. But all these big losses on the road are very surprising, but not so much when you think about the energy and the atmosphere that these people are walking into. And because of that, Mike, and I don't want to be a homer because of it, but when you got an unranked team in Notre Dame who has traditionally played its worst football at home to come up against the number four team in the country, the arguably – one of the best teams in the ACC, obviously the undefeated team, and Clemson and Dabo Sweeney and the chokehold that they've had on Notre Dame and that program as a whole, Mike, I feel like the biggest surprise was just how dominant Notre Dame was over Clemson uh, on Saturday night. Yeah, I, I the only reason I say that is because I can already feel, and I think this argument would apply for both Alabama and Clemson, relative to their standard, both of those teams are well below what we've seen from them in the playoff era, right? This Alabama True. team has been operating a lot closer to everybody else for the majority of the year and has been saved by Bryce Young more often than not. Mm -hmm. And yep. Or not, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think there's some acknowledgement for both of them that those are not as good of Alabama and Clemson teams as we've seen. I even said last week, Clemson reminded me a lot of 2014 Florida State that won a lot of close games in the regular season that made the playoffs because they were undefeated in a conference championship champion in a Power 5 conference, but we knew all along the way weren't actually that good, and I think that same thing applies to Clemson. You mentioned home field advantage. For Notre Dame, uh, you know, we, we can always talk about the crowd, but um, the weather in the Midwest. We saw it affect Ohio State's game against Northwestern where it was damn near impossible to throw the ball. We saw that yep. certainly affect South Bend where there was a weather advisory enough to where they banned tents in the parking lot being set up for tailgates. 
And that going into a game where Notre Dame had struggled throwing the football to begin with forced them into being essentially one-dimensional. But being able to go out there and execute that against the Clemson defensive front, that probably would qualify, Brandon, as the most surprising outcome. Not because I'm not confident in the Notre Dame offensive line or Audric Estime and that rushing attack. It's just Mm -hmm. you have a lot of guys that are going to be first-round draft picks or second-round draft picks over on that Clemson defensive front. There's really good players, and they knew what was coming, and we knew what was coming, and only one side was capable of going out and executing the way that they wanted. And when that's the case, when it's strength on strength, and one side is so overwhelmingly the victor, part of that does have to do with the Clemson offense putting their defense in bad position. We know this wasn't a game that was just dominated by the Notre Dame offense. A sixth block punt on the year. That at Ooh, least puts them tied for a first touchdown in college football. Brian Mason, worth his weight in gold, Notre Dame's defensive coordinator. And then obviously Ooh. the job the Notre Dame defense did as well, turning over Clemson and getting some big-time performances. Benjamin Morris, their freshman defensive back, had himself an incredible game. Two interceptions and the pick six. So I don't want to make it seem like it was totally the offense in this game. It wasn't. This was a complimentary football game all the way around. But for Clemson, which you could argue outside of quarterback and wide receiver, defensive line has been the calling card of the Clemson dynasty during the college football playoff era. And to see that crack so famously in this game was jarring. Yes, I I hear you, but you got to think about where Notre Dame, talking about Notre Dame's strengths and weaknesses, right? Like we do lean on our offensive line quite a bit. And it was good to see that they were able – we haven't really seen them get bullied outside of the uh, Marshall game, which is odd to say uh, when you think yeah. about how Notre Dame has played, Notre Dame's offensive line has played. But, yeah, it, it, I think it was less of – it just was a moment, Mike. It, it, was a, it was a real moment, and it seemed like Clemson wasn't ready for it, and Notre Dame finally was. They were – That being said, part of me still thinks that the most surprising result might be LSU getting the win in the fashion that they did. Okay, and yes, please, please go into that because that was one of the college football playoff movements, like making LSU number ten. That I thought was just kind of cosmetic, if you will, or kind of setting the narrative. They they proved it out there, and that that was really fun to see. They did, and uh, for anyone that missed that, that was a game that. Alabama did not lead until overtime in Death Valley. It was back and forth, but it was always LSU out in front. And Brian Kelly made the decision to go for two in overtime and win it. Jaden Daniels ends up making the pass down there that ultimately wins them that game and sends a big message. Brian Kelly, obviously very familiar with Nick Saban from his time at Notre Dame, was not able to get a win over him in either of his attempts in South Bend, and so certainly huge for him down there, but also in the college football playoff, I think it creates a fascinating dynamic with this team now because a two-loss team has never made the college football playoff. LSU now Mm. controls their own destiny in the SEC West, or is at the very least in the driver's seat to get to Atlanta and face the Georgia team that would be coming out of the East right now, and what does happen in the playoff picture. I still believe Georgia far too deep at this point, right? LSU has managed to put it together in a way that most people would not have predicted after early in the regular season, after that thumping that uh, Tennessee put on them in Death Valley, albeit in a day game. But now with an opportunity to potentially be an SEC champion, 
they yeah. present the biggest chaos agent for this entire ordeal. So that one definitely, I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people will say similar things about Alabama and question and, uh, Clemson, as far as teams that they thought were ready to drop one based on what we'd seen for most of this season. But I'll go that one. I, I truly think that that, and especially the fashion in which it happened, maybe it's because the Notre Dame game felt over in, you know, the third and early fourth quarter, because Clemson was blanked for so long in that game. They really weren't able to get much going. DJ got benched for Cade Klubnik again, who promptly came in and threw a YOLO Uncle Rico interception backed up near his own end Man. line. It was uh, it was never really close there. And for Alabama and LSU, I think that game being close down to the end, coming down to a two-point decision like that, even though it's in a place that's one of the most famed environments in college football, I, I still think seeing that happen with those two coaches in particular, with Nick Saban, who we hardly ever see lose two games in the same body of a regular season, was right. an, enough to really kind of brush me back and make this exciting because going into tomorrow night's college football playoff rankings, we've got a lot to consider. Georgia will obviously be the new number one. I think you'll see Ohio State and Michigan in that top uh, four as well in some order. And then TCU, this is probably their time to shine, the last remaining hope for the Big 12 because once you get past undefeated TCU, it's a bunch of 6-3 and three teams. And if TCU loses, which they're, I, I haven't seen the line yet, um... You know what? Let me, ch- uh, Brandon. Let me check the early. Oh, let line. me, let me. Can I filibuster real quick while you yeah. look at the line? I think I'm gonna give some credit to Brian Kelly right now because we talked a lot about as much as people have been asking us about what it, what it means for LSU. We we synonymous. It was pretty standard that we said that he can turn around a good program. Yes, right. And it's all about the players that he has on the roster that's going to help him do so, and. For the two biggest college moves in college football, coaching-wise, at the beginning of the season, to be Marcus Freeman taking over Notre Dame job, first-time head coach, former defensive coordinator for Notre Dame, after Brian Kelly leaves the university for LSU, this weekend feels like a nice um, – just like a, a it, nice, it feels it feels nice because Notre Dame also won. Because if Notre Dame had lost to Clemson, South Bend would be burning alive right now. It would, yeah, it would true, be the saltiest true. place on earth. You can say you can yes, say that because true. you know it would be true with this fan base and how that divorce went. It is it is it is interesting to see now both programs and the direction they're going in. But yeah, at, listen, Brian deserves a ton of credit because early in that season, this is like the victim of a primetime game, right? The standalone Sunday night game at the beginning of the season where you lose to Florida State and then mm-hmm. seeing Tennessee go out and do what they're capable of doing offensively when things get out of hand. That's a snowball team. It can go from bad to worse very, very quick. But uh, right. they figured out that situation that at OSU very quick. I found the set score I was looking at. And this is exactly what I expected. TCU's a touchdown underdog this week against Texas. Quentin Johnston, their best receiver, went off injured in the game this past weekend that they managed to win against Texas Tech. Underdog? Yes, and I, I think completely understandably so, the way that Texas has been playing as of late. Wow. I, I don't... I don't. It's disrespectful, but it's well, also makes sense. It does, because when you look at this TCU team, and I got a chance to do their game, very good team, solid offensive line, running back Quentin Johnston when he's on the field is one of the best wide receivers in college football. Max Duggan is a quarterback inside this offense, a, um, a Garrett um, Riley offense. So that name familiar, the brother of Lincoln Riley, the USC head coach. Does yes. a good job of putting him in positions to succeed, but he's just a, a very he's a good quarterback. 
and mm-hmm. you see that show up. They ended up in that game against Texas Tech having a couple of layups off of turnovers on downs when Texas Tech went for it on fourth down near midfield. But even then, that was a game where once more they found themselves down, they had to dig themselves out of a little bit of a hole, and now they're going up against a team that with Quinn Ewers on the field has been pretty lethal in Texas. So I'm not surprised that they're a touchdown dog going on the road. You talk about home field advantages as well. So, um, yeah, just something to keep an eye on because TCU is probably going to be ranked in the top four and be that next team that's capable of going out and immediately having that upset the way that we saw for this first week for the college football playoff. Um, Brandon, whether you're hosting game day or movie night, DiGiorno knows that planning a watch party on a budget isn't easy. You need the perfect setting, the perfect squad, and the perfect eats. Luckily, you're a game time mastermind, and you know that grabbing DiGiorno Classic Crust Pizza can bring home a dub because it's packed with half a pound of cheese, sauce, and other toppings and comes at an incredible price. Make the game-winning call and grab a DiGiorno Classic Crust Pizza from the grocery store today. It's not delivery, it's DiGiorno. We'll get to more college talk tomorrow. In the meantime, it is Monday around here. We got to give out some roses. Uh, You and I abide by the bachelor principle. We each get two roses. We get to hand them out to someone deserving that we feel has stepped up and gone above and beyond over the course of this weekend. I want to start off, Brandon, and give out my first rose. Okay. Lil Kirk. (laughs) Lil Kirk. No, you did not. Did you see Kirk Cousins on the plane with his Vikings teammates after their win? Yes, I saw Zadarius Smith uh, seem to orchestrate a a TikTok moment yet again. So this is what I want to know. So the the Vikings went out this weekend and continue to outpace the rest of their division. They are so far out ahead. They get a 2017, one of the other 2017 wins over the commanders in that game. Very much in the driver's seat of the NFC North. Were the Vikings teammates laughing at him or laughing with him on the plane? (laughs) As Kirk Cousins, if you missed the video, Kirk Cousins is on the flight home. This team is loving what they're seeing, loving where they're at. And it seems like everybody on their plane took all of their chains and put them on a shirtless Kirk Cousins, having him dance for the gram. And I just want to know, Brandon, because Kirk Cousins looked like he was having the best time. Like, he's going to go home and write in his diary about having the best day with his friends at school. And I just want to know if you think that was done sincerely by his teammates or if it was, let's get the uncomfortable-looking white guy in as many jewels as possible and see how many views we can get on this. I hear you, Mike, but no. See, what you're missing is the fact that this is the, I believe, seven-year anniversary of the Kirk Cousins, you like that? You like that? moment so i think everyone's feeling kurt because like at that point in time we didn't really know what we liked with kurt cousins since then kevin o'connell and the rest of that vikings offense and defense and team and minnesota has seen a version of kurt cousins that's consistent that's real a part of it that they love they love that shit they love what they're seeing from kurt cousins so i have a feeling that now everyone's kind of sipping the kool-aid almost the way they did with uh chris uh with uh carson wentz that year before nick Foles came in and won well, the super bowl like everyone was sipping the kool-aid of the weirdness well this is i mean we've seen kurt cousins be good in the regular season before and like i said the vikings Don't. i understand people liking them before brandon i'm sorry he's not like this brandon like this brandon 
he's gotten paid how many times because he's played like this in the regular season. Him doing spectacular things in the regular season, not even spectacular, him being a very good quarterback in the regular season, totally within reason, totally something I expect. This is the only, this is the only player in the NFL that I go Stu Gotts with, and I'm going, sorry, you got to do it in the postseason for me to really care about this. I've seen this story before. I've seen Kirk Cousins lead teams before and be really good statistically during the regular season. Do it in the postseason, Kirk. Mike, you're the one who gave him a rose. Yeah, I gave him the rose for being iced out and for it being fun with his friends. <laughs> that's completely fair because that's all you really do need uh, for a rose. Um, and I, I'll go ahead and give my rose, Mike. Uh, the Who I wanted to highlight after this weekend was specifically the Lions defense. The Lions defense. After, I don't want to say it like this, but after Audrey uh, – Aubrey Pleasant was fired, the DB's coach for the Lions. They had a private meeting, Mike. They had a private meeting. The defense did. No coaches allowed. And there was a lack of trust in that room, apparently, uh, amongst the – it was like kind of, you got my back, I got yours. But the more people that were left on an island and got uh, basically burned on defense, one of the worst defenses in the league, statistically the worst defense in the league, was able to, to nut up against Aaron Rodgers, Mike. And, and shouts out to Kirby jo- Joseph. Uh, he had two interceptions on Aaron Rodgers. Huge. Aaron Rodgers, obviously, or I say I should say it this way, the Lions were able to force three red zone interceptions. Uh, and shouts out to Kirby Johnson. I said he had two forced fumbles and two interceptions in the last three games. So, And then Aiden Hutchinson, another rookie, who obviously we talked about had that, that great interception uh, in the red zone on the goal line, uh, basically. But... Dan Campbell looked so happy. I was I was very happy for the entire team for them to get their second win on the season against the Packers, who obviously has owned the Lions for a very very long time. I wanted to give my rose to the Detroit Lions. Not that they're back, but they're at least competent, and they they respond when their back's against the wall, and their back was against the wall. It was big time, big time performance from what's been one of the doormat defenses in the league so far this season. Ooh, and it's it's always tough when you have a coach or someone get fired like that because it does send a message that, hey, none of us are safe, especially in this league, the way the standard is and the bottom line it is. Um, Brandon, they feel like they got their they felt like they got their coach fired and you know, they took it personally, which is good. My second rose, I want to give to the Kansas Jayhawks uh, and their social media team in college. Now, first off, shout out to Kansas going bowling for the first time since 2008. They are bowl eligible under Lance Leipold. They had college game day come there for the first time ever this season. It's been a banner season for the Jayhawks. Thrilled for them to get to experience some success. In celebration of them going to a bowl game and being eligible for the first time since their Orange Bowl appearance against Virginia Tech, they beat Oklahoma State, who, without Spencer Sanders, they've been beat up. It's been a free fall for them the last few games here. Kansas celebrated by going out here and ripping down the goalposts at their stadium. We remember that was a subject of a lot of controversy in the SEC when Tennessee did that after the Bama game. And Tennessee, who has now prompted like a whole score of committees being launched by the SEC to try and figure out all these storm uh, uh, field rushing instances and how to better police this going forward because they don't like all this fun shit happening in college football. The Kansas Jayhawks fans went down there, tore down the goalposts, and then their social media team tweeted out a picture of new goalposts and said, no GoFundMe necessary, taking a direct shot at the Tennessee Vols that tried to turn that into a school fundraising opportunity, saying, we need help to make sure we can get the goalposts back up. A-plus troll. Flawless no notes.
Hey, uh, Rich Flex. Talking about Drake in, in 21 Savage. Those was a nice Rich Flex from Kansas there. I was going to say, they must have gone um, over and borrowed some money from the basketball department. Don't do that. I'm just saying, do man, that. you go see um, how those two different buildings are built, and you'll see what I'm talking about. I hope they give – and it sounds like Lance is getting a bunch of money. He is obviously going to be someone they're going to have to pay and throw yeah. even more at to keep because he is going to be in high demand for a lot of the jobs that come up this offseason. But we talked to him Perfect on this so. podcast. He was a friend of the show. He talked about how comfortable he and his family are, how it was a purposeful decision to end up in Lawrence. And so I hope it keeps happening like this so that these Kansas folks can keep getting their tweets off. It's weird. It's weird. Kansas, Kansas, uh, a force in football. I like it though. I'm not mad at it. Uh, my second rose of the week, Mike, uh, a little based on the news headlines he had coming into the league back in the, uh, coming out of college. I've really tried to stay away from this person's name a lot. Uh, but Joe Mixon, Joe Mixon had a crazy, crazy day yesterday. Uh, five touchdowns, Four on the ground, one as a receiver, 153 yards rushing on 22 carries, seven yards average, 58 yards in the air on four catches, and that he really did break off uh, old dude in the end zone uh, when Joe Burrow threw him that that touchdown pass. So, uh, shouts out to Joe Mixon. The Cincinnati Bengals have always needed him, but he had a, a, a career day. First time in the Super Bowl era that a Cincinnati Bengals player has had five touchdowns so i mean shouts out to the Bengals. shouts out to joe mixon so i didn't see this game happening live i kept looking up and seeing the score me and uh me and dad had to do an appearance yesterday but long before i ever got with DraftKings, and long before the sports book even came along when it was just daily mm-hmm. fantasy my family's had a DraftKings daily fantasy league that's played on the weekends for a few years now and me and my dad were looking down in there and all of a sudden we got done with the appearance looked down and saw joe mixon had 58 points in the draft Kings DFS league <laughs> B- blown away. So yeah, m- amazing performance uh, in a game where, yeah, we know the Panthers are probably going to be some version of this for most of the rest of the year. It was fun seeing PJ yeah. Walker and company go out there and ball and get cool things to happen. But I'd imagine more often than not, this is what they're capable of putting out there as far as clunkers against a team like the Bengals who still have a lot to play for and still have a ton of offensive talent there, but 58 fantasy yeah. points. Sweet Jesus. Um, yeah, and, and shout out, oh, well, uh, thoughts and prayers to the announcer during the game. I think it was Mark Sanchez, but I don't want to put this evil on him. I know he has plenty of blunders every now and then, but uh, after the reception touchdown, he said, Jamar Chase who? And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have said that. Hey, you know what? He caught himself in real time. We all make mistakes. The people that can raise their hand in real time and say, hey, that was a dumb thing that came out of my brain are the people that we can usually endorse around here. Um, Brandon, yeah. uh, speaking of DraftKings, Ooh. we throw out a few bets going into every weekend. and uh, We do. A little bit better looking back and uh, getting to run a show. We always want to be honest and show where we're at, show our work. Uh, week 10, 3-2-1 of six thick picks, uh, three college, three pro. College treated me a lot better this weekend. Uh, Florida State, minus 7.5 versus Miami. Yikes. What a thorough Ooh. ass whooping in that rivalry game. My, you want to talk about stories of the offseason. We mentioned some of the coaching hires, Brian Kelly, Marcus Freeman. What's going on with Mario Cristobal and that Miami team has been nothing short of an unmitigated disaster so far this year. Um, Talking about cursed. Yeah. Oregon State plus four and a half uh, in the Friday night game against Washington. All my trust and faith in Oregon State's turnover chainsaw. 
that they have on their sideline. Uh, it is not gassed up and it does not have teeth, but it still exists and it makes me happy. Um, and then Ohio State Northwestern, the only one that didn't hit over 55 and a half that game, marked by a ton of win and inconsistency from Ohio State that has sent their fan base and their message boards into a free fall. Brandon, if you don't follow message board geniuses on Twitter, I encourage you to do it now. There are like full-blown manifestos, political comparisons being made, people on that message board calling Ryan Day soft. It is a disaster for a team that's probably going to be ranked number two in the college football playoff rankings this weekend. Um, NFL-wise, um, mixed bag, Aaron Jones over 65 and a half rushing yards, obviously an L as he went off with injury during that game. The fucking Packers, so inconsistent. Yeah. Mm. Um, Minnesota minus three versus Washington ended up being a push. Shout out to Lil Kirk and Seattle plus two versus Arizona. Seattle running away and hiding with that division right now in the NFC West. They continue to win in all the ways that we're used to. Kenneth Walker the third, a steady dose of defense, and Kyler Murray on the other side arguing with DeAndre Hopkins. It seems like Arizona is going to continue to be a hot mess city. So uh, that was uh, that was my six picks, Brandon. You've got Brandon's no rut November pick that you audibled very quickly at the end of last week, but yes. for good reason. Yes, Mike, uh, because Justin Fields is that man. And as good as the Miami Dolphins are, I think the line was uh, giant or Bears, excuse me, Chicago Bears plus four. I just believed in Justin Fields at the last second, and uh, I was like, you know what? He's going to make me right. And no rut in November continues. I continue to pick my wins. I think I am uh, four and two on my picks at this point in time. So uh, patting myself on the back. There you go. Pat Pat indeed. So Brandon mentioned his record, uh, 23-34-3 and three so far on the year of the six thick picks. So not super cute. 3-2-1 and one this week. So we're technically above 500. We're loving what we're seeing. Yes. Um, the thrill and excitement of March Mania is here. And DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. That means as we lurch towards March Madness, you can try and figure out who's going to win this whole thing. On the men's side, teams like UConn, Houston, and Purdue. On the women's side, South Carolina, Stanford, the Lady Irish in Notre Dame, or maybe Caitlin Clark's Iowa Hawkeyes finally get over the hump. Make the decision for yourself and head over and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code GOJO when you do. New customers can bet 5 bucks and get $150 instantly in bonus bets. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code GOJO, the crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY, that's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Brandon, with that in mind, Time to ask the all-important question. Do you know what time it is? Hell yeah, Mike, I do. And this is for the New York Jets. In New York, concrete jungle where dreams are made of. There's nothing you can't do. Now you're in New York. These streets will make you feel brand new. 
Nothing lights will inspire you Let's hear it for this, that, and the third I will always throw out this fun fact My mom beat Alicia Keys in the New York City Marathon <gasps> Wow Yeah Nice. I like that through line. Also, shout out to Alicia Keys. Just started her her new album or her new record label, and she has a Christmas album that got released. Oh. To it. And also, she dressed up as Lord Beerus for Halloween. So I've been wanting to talk about uh, Alicia Keys for a very, very long time. Hold up. Alicia yeah. Keys dressed up as Lord Beerus from Dragon Ball Super? I, I'm going to show you the picture in two seconds, Mike, but yes. yes oh, she my did them God. Things. I was already ready I'm, to lose my shit because, man, Alicia Keys' Christmas album... That is warm, toasty, hot chocolate <laughs> on a very cold winter afternoon. Oh, that just filled my heart with so much joy. Shout out to Sirius XM Holly. Shout out to everyone going out here and already getting the Christmas playlist going. I see you. I appreciate you. I love you. But Alicia Keys, oh my God. Oh my God. I'm showing Mike Alicia Keys is Lord Beers. Uh, the... The what is he exactly for Dragon Ball Super? He's the God, destroyer of worlds. He's a God, he got a destruction. Yeah, he's a destroyer. Got a destruction. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Yes. Um. All right. I simply was unaware. Alicia Keys. Uh. Even though my mom <laughs> whooped your ass in the New York City Marathon, I appreciate your taste both in Christmas music and in Halloween costumes. Uh. Queen of the holidays, Lord of the land, first of her name. Uh, Alicia Keys, getting after it. Uh. <laughs> make sure you download, subscribe, rate, and review. Tell Brandon how much you enjoy the work that he is doing. With this, that, and the third. And Brandon, we have to talk about the Astros winning the World Series. Uh, they No, we don't. Uh, well, we can talk about it briefly to get to the other thing. Because <laughs> they won 4-2. Legitimately happy for Dusty Baker. Uh, I, we talk about okay, yeah. Dusty Baker, Trey Mancini, Notre Dame alum. Also had a very public yes. battle with cancer. Uh, spent time mm-hmm. with the Orioles organization. But also... Here now and getting a ring with the Houston Astros. I understand they're a franchise that a lot of people don't like. They find distasteful for all the reasons that make total sense. But I'm going to choose to be happy for that few good, you know, the good people that we know in the midst of that. And Dusty Baker, who got a bunch of shit thrown in his lap that wasn't his fault, came over here and was essentially made to answer. And I think a lot of people thought was going to be sent to go down with the ship as the Astros became a pariah in Major League Baseball. He ends up getting a World Series win. But, Brandon, this is more about Mattress, Ma- Mattress Mac um, every year. Oh, yes, it is. We get the $75 million payout for the seven-figure bets Mattress Mac made on the Astros to win the World Series. It is the largest payout in sports betting history at approximately $75 million. Uh, he put bets in before and during the season. Brandon, uh, we, for people that don't know at this point, he does a promotion down where he is from in Houston that will this year refund any customer who spent three grand on furniture, double their money back if the Astros win the World Series, and he makes these what? bets to help offset that. So if the Astros win, Interesting. then he's winning a bunch of money, and that money is used to cover the promotions that he does down there at the furniture store. I just appreciate okay. that during this World Series run, we got to see that video of Mattress Mac on the road spending time in Philadelphia. Yes. Mm-hmm. losing his shit on a bunch of Philly fans, telling them to fuck off after the game when as- the Astros had lost. It reminds me so much in House of the Dragon this season, you had that moment where Alicent and uh, Ranieri were both tied up with the knife, and Alicent was trying to oh, stab yeah. old girl, and 
Renera looked at her in the eye and said, now they see you for what you really are. I felt like that was that moment for Mattress Mac as he was just shouting obscenities at the Philadelphia crowd on the road. I mean, that's fair. And I'm sure anyone who works close with Mattress Mac could be able to tell you just how he is, like uh, the people who work close with Ellen DeGeneres. Uh, let's take people off pedestals. Um, but anyways, yes, uh, Mattress Mac won his money. Uh, congratulations. Biggest bet. Uh, Alex Bregman. Breg, uh, I can't always. I miss his last Bregman. <laughs> you've been, yeah, you've been consistently Bregman. one letter off everyone's name today. <laughs> Like if someone were to go back through this Alex podcast Bregman. and just see, I think it's legitimately one letter on most every name. I, the, honestly, I'm, as someone who transferred away from Notre Dame right before you guys won a national championship, I'm usually just one letter off of a lot of things. Uh, but I'll say this. It was fun to see after the game that he was most excited about. I'm going to say most excited about. I choose to say he was most excited about LSU beating Alabama. Uh, there's a little quick clip of one of the reporters letting him know that uh, his alma mater, uh, LSU, finally got over the hump against uh, Alabama, and he just couldn't believe it, and he was even more excited after that. So college football wins again. College football, always the winner. Match or smack, able to offset uh, the issues there <laughs> with his promotion. Uh, Brandon, let's get to that. Uh, it felt like it needed to address the news out of the NHL, obviously early in that season. But uh, yeah. the Boston Bruins doing really well early in the season, ten and two right now, and off to a strong start until they decided to go and make news by signing Mitchell Miller to an entry level contract. Less than three days after that, on Sunday, they cut ties with that prospect. He's a twenty year old defenseman who was previously a fourth round draft pick by the Coyotes back in twenty twenty. The Arizona Republic back then published a story detailing how Miller, then 14 years old, and another middle school classmate were convicted in juvenile court in 2016 of racially abusing and bullying a young uh, kid named Isaiah Meyer, uh, Meyer Crothers, who is black. And in the report, Myers Crothers' mother says that Miller started abusing her son in the second grade while also using repeated racial epithets. This was bullying that took place over a couple of years, according to the victim. And also included at one point, Miller and the other uh, young boy in question forcing him to lick a ring pop that had been um, wiped inside of a urinal. Myers Crothers had to be tested for uh, you know STDs later on because of that. It was disgusting, abhorrent behavior. Pleaded guilty in juvenile court, was sentenced to community service hours because of that. But also, you know, then understandably affected this player's hockey career because this is a horrific thing for anyone to have on their record. And Brandon, the Bruins tried to go out here and make this signing and came out on the other side of it and received a lot of blowback. Most notably, I think, from their own players inside the organization. Bruins forward, uh, Bruins forward Nick Foligno said Saturday that it was a tough thing for the team to learn. He said, quote, I'm not going to lie to you. I don't think any of uh, the guys was too happy because of how proud we are to say this is a group that cares a lot about ourselves and how we carry ourselves and how we treat people. Patrice Bergeron, who's a captain of that team, said the culture was built against this type of behavior. He said what Miller did was unacceptable and we don't stand by that. And so, Brandon, you had players on this team coming out. And we see all the time in sports when controversy shows up, when a player's brought into an organization, that players will a lot of times 
certainly give the company line, not really step out too far as far as criticism. This was as open players were in their discomfort with a signing like this that I've seen in quite some time. I'm sure the cynic in me says part of it is because this was a guy that was not expected to help them right now. He was expected to be a part uh, of their um, you know, farm system there. Mm-hmm. But the other thing in this, the Bruins also tried to come out and say in their apology when they talked about this signing and the mistake they made, they referred to this as an isolated incident. Even though the original article that we talked about that reported this back in 2020 says the victim was taunted and mocked over the course of years with racial epithets used thrown in his direction. And so all of this is just another sad reminder that the people making these decisions in sports often do so not telling us the full truth about how much they've looked into these things or how much they actually care to look into these things. I'm sure the Bruins thought that because this wasn't a guy that was going to go out there and affect their starting lineup and their NHL team right now, they might be able to stash this player and be able to worry about this later on. And instead, they got called out by their own team, by certainly tons of members in the media, and it worked. And there is something to that that if you care enough to speak up about these things, especially for the players involved, and you hate to see it put on them, right? Like, it was shitty that Patrice Bergeron had to be the one out here answering questions about this signing and be the one at the forefront of all this in a way that clearly made him and a lot of the rest of those guys deeply uncomfortable. But this is another organization showing us why we cannot give sports organizations the benefit of the doubt on the whole idea of second chances. Because I can already hear the people saying he was 14 when this happened. He already, you know, was punished in juvenile court. How long is this supposed to go on? When you hear reports that he has not personally apologized to the victim, there was a court-mandated letter, but the other child that was involved in this bullying apparently had a tearful apology in person to uh, Myers Crother. That hasn't happened with Miller apparently, according to the victim's mother. And so when you don't have true contrition and we've not been shown any meaningful ways outside of court-mandated community service hours that we've seen how this is supposed to go, and more importantly, that the Boston Bruins have not communicated any of that in this signing, you see time and time again why organizations do not deserve the benefit of the doubt when bringing in prospects and potential players on these teams that come with pass full of moments like this. Second chances are not off limits, but they have to be earned. And when you constantly have organizations not wanting to even begin to show the work or do the homework necessary to display that that's something they take seriously, you get a situation like this where the Bruins look clownish in public. For all the right reasons, Mike. And I'm, I'm glad that moves like this are no longer celebrated or tolerated. I think tolerated has been what's been going on for, you know, the last few decades more than than uh, celebrated, but it just sucks that it sucks that they're going to make the decision in the first place. But uh, I think I'm more shaken and troubled that these instances and the things that this victim had to go through are happening more frequently than we're hearing about. I think that's kind of just where I, I lay, and that's where my head just always just lies and, and just shouts out and. And stay strong to all the victims of bullying, especially uh, for just being who you are uh, in, in, in the color of your skin. So I'm glad the, the Bruins are, are, are making the right move and made the right move, but it is a little bit disheartening that they made the wrong one first. Yeah, I, I think Shana Goldman, the Too Many Men podcast, which is a part of the Levitard Network, an outstanding hockey podcast, I think Shana said it best. 
she tweeted, the Bruins would have avoided this situation in the first place by just doing their due diligence, at minimum speaking to the victim, assessing if he has earned this chance, seeing if he'd even be eligible to play. The team failed to do so, move forward, and now we're here. It's the old Holly Anderson line, the great college football reporter. They can, so they did. Sometimes organizations just view it that way, where because I can make a move and because I want to, I will, and I won't be damned what anything else might tell me as far as going along in that process um so uh, terrible headline like you said um something shitty but something that we thought was worth addressing here as we see so many unfortunate off the field headlines proliferating the world of sports right now um so we'll pause for a second here take a deep breath yeah because i'm gonna read you brandon the dumbest possible headline um Ooh. okay about so that 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 was this is this is cool. That was very serious. The third, yeah, the third is some of the dumbest shit ever. Did you see the Philadelphia Chicken Man pop up on your timeline, Brandon? <laughs> Philadelphia Chicken Man? No, I can safely say no. Timeline Chicken Man. Um, well, take notes every time a Chicken Man pops up. So uh, at twelve o'clock on Sunday, a man named Smooth Recess on Twitter put up flyers that appeared all over flagpoles in Philadelphia, phone poles in Philadelphia, and on the internet. Come watch me eat an entire rotisserie chicken. November 6th will be the 40th consecutive day that I have eaten an entire rotisserie chicken. And it was that simple. The sign made note that this was not a party, that this was just going to be a man eating a chicken in the abandoned pier near Walmart at noon on a Sunday in Philadelphia. That man is Alexander Tominsky, a.k.a. Smooth Recess, on Twitter. And, Brandon, this ended up going through the Philadelphia Reddit page. This ended up bringing people out here for this magic moment. And it ended with a guy gutting his way through a 40th day of rotisserie chicken. Um, He said that he felt, quote, really gross, but also excited about not having to consume chicken ever again. He's not planning to dedicate 40 days straight to eating some other food in the future. Never again. He said he lost 14 pounds and has frequent bouts of dizziness and achiness, and that he's been experiencing cramps and brain fog as well through this process. Brandon, is there anything that you would eat for 40 days straight like this? Yes, many things. Just name it. I'll do it. Is there anything that- chicken now because of the dietary uh, research I just heard? I feel like chicken is what I'm leaning towards now. But yeah, I, I'll do that. I'll do anything for a short amount of time. Brand- and yes, 40 days is a short amount of time. And Brandon, it was hundreds of people that showed up for this scene. I see. At this abandoned, I'm trying to- abandoned pier, chanting, eat that chicken, honoring <laughs> his request that this was not a party, um, calling him the chicken man. Brandon, this journey essentially seemed to begin for no reason in particular. Well, I'll, I'll say this. I'll say this because I'm reading the article and it's, it's quite funny. And shout out to Abbott Elementary set in Philadelphia. And one of the fav- my favorite teachers in there is strictly from South Philly. And this woman, Emma Parcell, had a great quote. Uh, she was at the chicken event and she said, I f- like she was talking about after coming off uh it's an upbeat end cap for the weekend for for uh, Philadelphia and you know obviously Thursday night football with the Eagles winning. Uh, she said, "I feel like I feel like the city's just been so electric with everything going on that like yesterday something was the end and we wanted to keep it going, you know." Well, so like it was like they ended with the World Series and it's like you know what this guy who's also from Philly he's been eating chicken every day. Come watch the fortieth. 
Brandon, it's what I talked to you about. People are searching for community. Don't do it. And in the city of Philadelphia, where they had lost not only a World Series, but also, I believe, in the MLS Cup Final as well in that league. True. Yeah. There had been a little bit of sadness around there, and they were searching for something to hold on to. And it's proof. You don't need much. You just need someone willing to stand up and dare to be different. And Smooth Recess managed to be that guy going out there and eating chicken so that these people could come together for something bigger than themselves, Brandon. It's a beautiful moment. It's what we're all searching for in this crazy life. Someone to go out there and be Chicken Jesus. Some okay, yes. Okay. I I I had something to say, but Chicken Jesus threw me off. But uh Temple did beat South Florida this weekend. So um our last weekend. So you gotta lean on that. And I think Kevin Hart was on million dollars worth of game. So, you know, just some Philly things, other Philly things. Oh, and and Meek Mill did Dreams and Nightmares, uh was it game three or game four? Uh, which obviously didn't help them win the game. So there's other things around Philly to celebrate. I hope that the Eagles do the right thing and bring out the chicken man at the beginning of the next home game for uh, some sort of – Eating 41 at halftime? No, don't put that man through that. You let him rest now. (laughs) You let him be ever so quiet and ever so still. I just want him honored at halftime of the Eagles game for eating chick- a rotisserie chicken for 40 days and 40 nights. That's what I believe he deserves. Philadelphia, make this happen. Continue to galvanize the city around this Philadelphia Eagles team and around the chicken man here. We hope we can galvanize you in that same way around here at this podcast. Make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review, Gojo, wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a five-star rating. Leave us a review. Check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel under the Gojo with Mike Gold Jr. playlist. Thanks so much. Enjoy Monday Night Football. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.